in our opening scripture right here, and we're just going to jump right into this. In our opening scripture in Matthew 22, we see Jesus being approached by a group of people, a group of individuals. Most likely, they're a group of religious individuals. And they ask him what he believes to be the greatest commandment given by God to people to live out. And it's interesting to me, without hesitation, Jesus immediately, without hesitation, says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, uh, with everything that you can love God with, love him with that. And once again, right here, Jesus is demonstrating the absolute, listen to this now, absolute supremacy and desire that God has to be the one and only God on the throne of our heart. Amen? Jesus is consistently demonstrating that throughout his entire ministry, through every conversation he has. But if we've learned anything from this series so far, this conspiracy series, we, we've, we've learned that there is... There's sort of a competition for, for who is or what is number one on the throne of our hearts. In week one, we spent some time in this series talking about the conspiracy of pleasure, how pleasure is, is battling for the throne of our heart, for the, for the seat of honor in our heart. Last week, we spent time talking about success, not that money is evil, but that the love of money is evil and the love of money to the point that it becomes the sole focus in our life. It becomes a false god and a false idol. And that's what we're really learning through this series is that anytime we place anything in authority over Christ, anytime that we begin to worship anything over Jesus, anytime that we begin to place something at the forefront of our lives, right, it becomes a false god, it becomes a false idol, it becomes, it becomes sin. In the end, it becomes sinful. We end up worshiping the created rather than the creator, but I want you to know that we, today, we're going to be talking about one that, although money is, is, is a big deal, right? It yells really loud. Pleasure is a big deal. That, that also wants to try and demand that first spot. Today, we're going to be talking through, and you can write this down, the conspiracy of love. The conspiracy of love. I think the truth of the matter is we're obsessed with love. Would you agree with that? Yeah? By the way, I'm going to, yeah, would you agree with that? Yes? If you don't, you can say no, but I think that we as a culture and a society, we are overly obsessed with love. I mean, it's what dreams are made of. It's what Disney movies are made of. It's what fairy tales are filled with. The idea of being in love, the idea of having somebody love us, the thought of someone who we love falling in love with us. We love love. Turn to the person sitting next to you and say, I love love. Just go ahead right now. Just, just admit it. I love love. If you're sitting next to your husband or wife, look at them and say, and I love you, baby. Just go ahead right now. Just get it, it'll get you a couple extra points today. Just trying to help out where I can, add value where I can. Yeah, we love love. Not only do we love love, we hope for love. But I wonder, I wonder if we've gotten it wrong. I wonder if we've gotten love wrong. Because whatever you place your hope in is ultimately a God in your life. Whatever you place your hope in is ultimately a God in your life. Could it be possible that a relationship with a person has replaced your relationship with Jesus? Have you placed your hope in the arms of a romantic love rather than the arms of Jesus? If you have given power over to love in a way that it's not supposed to be experienced except through Jesus Christ, then it's false. And listen, I know, once again, I want to reiterate, this is a touchy issue. I know that. I know it is, because pleasure and money, they can be emotionally charged issues for sure, right? But they don't hold a candle to our need of wanting to be loved and wanting to give love and be appreciated for that. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? It doesn't hold a candle to it. 
We want to be loved. Ever since, we, ever since we literally are born, we're crying out for love. As we get older, we're crying out for love. In, in all areas of our lives, we're crying out for love. And so the conspiracy of love begins working in us very quickly. Let me give you an example. At every stage of our life, we're searching and wanting and desiring love. That's not a bad thing. However, good things become bad things when they take precedence over Jesus. Good things become bad things when we, become worship, when, we, when we begin worshiping those things over Jesus, when we give them first priority in our life. And it plays out like this. If you're a young adult in here, and that's a wide range, I know. But from the moment that you really begin to gain a realization of romantic love in any type of way, you know what I mean? For, for some of us, that began at a younger age. For some of you, it didn't begin for a while. But as young adults, we are bombarded with you got to be loved and you got to love. Every TikTok, every Instagram, every, like I said, fairy tale and Disney movie, it's all about a prince finding its princess. It's all about the hero going and rescuing her or, or her searching for love and finding in this individual. And we are bombarded with this love. Now, here's a problem with that is because at that time, as a young adult, there, is, there are physical, emotional, mental, and hormonal changes that are taking place at such a rapid pace that if we're not careful, that can create a cocktail of disaster that quite honestly can lead to life-devastating, life-altering results. And when you add in the relentless pursuit of love during this time, it can be dangerous. That's the conspiracy of love. Let's move on a little bit. Then you get into the, you know, you move into your 20s, 30s, maybe 40s, you're single, right? And uh, if, you've ever been, if you've never been married, what happens when we have made love a God is we begin to feel like something's wrong with us. We begin to think, like, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I not married? Like, are people looking at me strange? What, what's going on? We feel in maybe an emptiness because we're not like everybody else. We're not like all the people who, who are experiencing romantic love. And this can drive us to depression. This can drive us to loneliness at a, at a desperate level. Am I speaking to anybody today? This can drive us deep inside of our own minds and begin to question everything. It can strain our relationship with Christ. We give love a godlike power. And that's the conspiracy of love at work. Married individuals, you, you may have found the love of your life, but, but are you looking to your spouse to provide what only God should be providing? Yes, we should find security in our spouse. Yes, we should find, we should find, uh, we should find love in our spouse. Yes, we should find all those things. But if you're constantly fighting, never forgiving, always raising expectations higher and higher, if you hear this being phrased, if you loved me, you would just fill in the blank. That's common that maybe you've made love a God. Like I said, yes, we should look to our spouse for security, and yes, we should be satisfied in them. But I want you to know they cannot be your spouse, your husband, your wife. Cannot be, listen to me now, they cannot be the source of security in your life. They cannot be the source of satisfaction in your life. That must come from God and God alone. By the way, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have conflict. One of the lies that's been sold to us the most is that you can find satisfaction, that you can find comfort. And while that is true, it is only true in part. You will never, and listen to me very clearly, carefully this morning, you will never find true satisfaction apart from Jesus Christ one day in heaven. That is when you will be ultimately truly satisfied. And secure, and we, we run our whole lives on this little wheel trying to, to think, we, we think that love is going to bring that satisfaction and that fulfillment. 
And that is the conspiracy of love. There's another group, divorced individuals. Maybe you are someone who is loved and lost. Maybe now the God of love has left you always living in the past, always looking back. Maybe you feel like you've been branded a failure. Maybe not by society anymore, but maybe by your family. Maybe even, unfortunately, by a church. And so after a while, what this God of love does to you it is that it drives you to learn some coping mechanisms, right? Because you just can't take what's, being, what's, what's the hurricane in your chest that's taking place. So it drives you maybe to some very addictive, not personalities, but some addictive behaviors. We all have those understandings of what those are. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's looking at things that are not good. But this God of love drives you to fill the void that you now feel in your chest. That is the conspiracy of love. I want us to jump into Genesis 29. I'm going to ask you to go with me today, there today, because in Genesis 29, we find a love story. Now, I know Genesis 29 isn't probably where you thought we were going to be today. We're like, isn't this Easter? This is Resurrection Sunday? Yeah, it is. It'll make sense. Genesis 29, starting in verse 16, it's a love story. But I got to tell you, this is like a love story like you'd expect like watching the Kardashians, okay? It's kind of a messed up love story, okay? It's more like a reality show than it is you know, like an Old Testament uh, biblical account because this is an Old Testament biblical historical account. And it's, it takes place in the, in the most unexpected way. It begins when Abraham, remember Abraham? Anybody know Abraham? Father Abraham has many sons. I am one of them. So move your arms. I can't remember how the song goes, but you get my point. Some of you who are like not church kids, you're like, what are you talking about? Don't worry, church culture, it's weird, it's fine. Begins with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and he falls in love with a young woman named Rachel. Look at this, starting in verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. <laughs> this is funny. I got to say. All right. The name of the older was Leah. Let me hear you say Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your young daughter, Rachel. Jacob, okay, Jacob loved Rachel, and he made a deal with her dad, Laban, that he would work for seven years if he could get Rachel as his wife. The guy is smitten. But we also read that Rachel, who the Bible describes as beautiful in form and appearance, has an older sister named Leah, to which the Bible only describes as having weak eyes. Okay, what does that mean? Well, have you ever had a friend who's trying to set you up on a date, and they say, Oh, you got to meet this guy. You got to meet him. Oh, tell me about him. He has a great personality. Red flags. You know that dude is busted. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, great personalities only go so far. I mean, let's be honest, right? That's what the Bible is saying here in, in, a, in, a, roundabout, in a roundabout way. All right, it's neither here nor there. Let's keep going. Verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Watch this now. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Is that not the most romantic thing you've ever heard? Can you imagine using that on your wife like day one? Girl, I served seven years for you. You know what I mean? And it, was only, it only felt like a day. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it's like John, Jane Austen wrote Genesis. All right, verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Now, we're, now we realize Jacob is a normal man, okay? Give me my wife that I may go and be with her in exactly the ways that you think that means. This doesn't sound quite as romantic, but seven years is a long engagement, okay? Here's where it gets crazy. Watch this now because there's a big twist in the story. Verse 22, 
So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. That's a physical, that's an intimate term there, by the way. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. I love that punctuation there. Exclamation point. It was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Whoa. What do we just read here? <laughs> Laban pulls an old switcheroo on Jacob. And after a late night of feasting and, and partying, maybe a little too much to drink, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was just really, really, really dark in the tent. I'm not sure. But either way, Jake wakes up the next morning laying next to Leah and not Rachel and being like, what just happened here? Because now I'm legally binded. I'm, I'm, I'm bound to this. I am married to this woman and I've been intimate with her. Now, if you, if you keep on reading here, it's fascinating what takes place. Because not only does he marry Leah, but then he goes and marries Rachel additionally as well. Now he's got two wives. And that's already going to create some drama. First off, can I just be like real here? Can you imagine marrying two women? Okay, no. And can you imagine if both those women you were married to were sisters? I can't even, I told you like the Kardashians, it's crazy. I, I just don't, I can't even imagine this. And the thing is, it just becomes a huge mess. But this story has less to do with Laban, less to do with Jacob, and less to do with Rachel, and more to do with Leah. In fact, this story is centered really around Leah, because Leah loves her husband. The older sister, weak on the eyes, weak eyes, whatever. She loves her husband. She truly, she truly does. Not only that, she wants more than anything else for him to love her. And that's all well and good, but what's not well and good is that when, when that becomes the driving purpose in your life, love became a God to Leah, the hoping and the dreaming of it, the belief that one day Jacob would love her in the way that she loved him, and she made it a God. Look at this in verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Let me hear you say Reuben. Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband, watch this now, will love me. I had a son, and it's Jacob's. Maybe now he'll, he'll love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. Now, but the only thing that Leah had going for her over Rachel was the fact that she was able to conceive children easily, whereas Rachel was, was what you classically would call barren. She was having a difficulty giving birth to children, conceiving in, in any way, shape, or form. And, and so Leah's thought is, well, maybe now he'll love me. So she is literally having this man's babies in an attempt to gain his affection, to get him to love her. And every time a child comes along, she says, finally, finally he'll love me. This is it now. Finally, we can have a real marriage. What she wanted more than anything else, even more than God, was to feel love by the giving of love. Hear the angst? Do you see the brokenness? You see that pain? Maybe this is you. Maybe this is us. Love had finally become the God that she had worshipped. By the way, sidebar, this is from free. I just want you to remember, you can't make anyone love you by giving them more of what they already don't appreciate. 
Remember that. Remember that. So that's the thing about the God of love. And this is worth writing down. The God of love is busy demanding demonstration while the king of love is busy demonstrating. The God of love is busy demanding demonstration while the king of love is busy demanding. If you are in a relationship that is always asking you to prove your love or earn their love or make these payments for their love, then guess what? We're not talking about love. We're talking about power. We're not talking about love. We're talking about control. And when you give love that kind of power, you're making it a God in your life. Anybody here this morning feel me on that? Yes? You're making it a God in your love. The conspiracy of love is dependent upon you proving your love. So don't fail. Don't mess up. Don't falter. Because if you do, I'm taking my love away. I'm taking my affection from you. Keep working. Keep trying. Keep striving. Keep making babies. Give me what I want and then I'll love you. That's not a love we give into. That's a love we stand up to. Amen? Because that love wants to dominate you. That love, quote, wants to sit at the throne of your heart. Do you know how Jesus' love works? Let me just transition a little bit. Do you know how the real king of love works? He doesn't demand demonstration. He demonstrates. He goes first. One of my favorite passages in scripture, Romans 5, 8. It says, but God shows. Another way to say that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus made the payment on love in full because, and watch this now, listen, this is so important. Jesus's love is not based on you. Jesus's love is based on himself. Jesus' love is not based on you. Jesus' love is based on himself. And this is monumentally huge because what that means is when you do fall, when you do fail, Jesus doesn't abandon you. Jesus doesn't leave you. Jesus doesn't walk away. Man, I wish I was preaching to a church on Easter Sunday talking about the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't leave you where you used to be. He demonstrates his love even when and especially when we are not deserving of it. It's because his love isn't based on you. It's based on himself. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says things like this. Hey, hey, I'm not gonna go anywhere. Hey, I love you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not, I'm, I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still right here. You're going to get through this, but I'm not letting you go. And in the meantime, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to walk with you, and I'll be faithful. Look, I, I was faithful to start it. I'm going to be faithful to finish it. My love for you is not based on you, it's based on me. So don't give up, keep walking, keep pressing in, keep confessing, but don't give up, I'll heal you. <laughs> I won't let you go. There is no one who can condemn you. I don't condemn you. There's no court that could possibly, could possibly change that. Everything's mine. Jesus says, I created you. I formed you in your mother's womb. Those dreams you have, I put them there. Those passions, you, pa passions that you have, I created you with them. I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. And I love you. 
Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you thought, regardless of what you have put your mind to, I love you. And I demonstrated that for you. I demonstrated that to you. Why does Jesus say this? Because you know why the simple truth? He actually, really, and truly loves us. Actually really and truly loves us, not based on what I've done or you've done, but based on himself. And, and here's the problem. Here's part of the reason we have, a tr- we have trouble with this. It doesn't make sense to us. That doesn't make sense to me. Does that make sense to you? No, every, every, every other love in the world is something that we have to earn. Every other love in the world is something that we have to prove. From the youngest of age when you're shooting a basketball and you walk off the field or you walk off the court and your dad says, good job, man. He gives you a high five, which is good. By the way, be a good dad and do that. We put two and two together at the age of seven and say, boy, if I make more shots, I'm going to get more high fives. You go on and you try to get good grades and you finally get that C. (laughs) There's a little too much into my past. I don't know. You get that good grade and you bring it home and your grandma says, good job, grandson, and gives you five bucks. And you're like, hmm, is this how this works? We work our whole life to get love. Jesus does the opposite. He just gives it. He just gives it. Because it's not based on you. It's based on himself. We are so used to having to earn love, having to demonstrate our love to receive love back. And somehow you think that God doesn't see all that you are. Or if he could, if he knew who you were going to be, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. But let me ask you a question. Don't you think Jesus knew this was going to get messy? Don't you think Jesus knew what was going to take place in your life? Jesus knows that you're going to screw up often. He knows that you're going to fall prey to some of these conspiracies that want your heart and mind. But listen to me, church. That's what the cross is all about. That is why the cross is there. The point of the cross is that you're going to fall. The point of the cross is that you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and you're going to feel dirty and you're going to feel awkward and you're going to feel guilty and you're going to feel shameful. See, the whole point of the cross is Christ is that there be this mighty picture of his love and pursuit of you. The cross is the greatest picture we have of how far God is willing to go to demonstrate his love towards us. But the resurrection, the resurrection is the greatest picture of how far God is willing to go to demonstrate he has authority to love us that way. No one else can love you the way that Jesus Christ loves you. No one else. No one else, because no one else can do what Jesus did. Jesus, by rising from the grave, conquered death, conquered sin in the grave. And dare I say, I might get in some theological hot water on this, earned the right to claim his love for you. In every way, in every shape, in every form. See, God ordered our lives in such a way that he is to be our most significant relationship. And when we get that right, regardless of whatever else is taking place in your life, listen to me, when we get that right, regardless of whatever else is taking place in your life, you will be found faithful. 
See, we think that we got to earn all these things. We think that we got to fight our way and not mess up. And listen, don't, don't fail. Don't fall. I get that. Fight there. Be spiritually disciplined. Fight the good fight. Finish strong. I get that. But number one, keep your love and your dedication and your sacrifice and surrender central to Jesus Christ in your life. Fight off the gods that want the throne of your heart. And listen to me, church. You will be found faithful. You will be found faithful. You will be known by him. You will hear, good job, well done, my good and faithful servant. Leah was desperate to find satisfaction from the God of romantic love. Every time she gave birth to a child, she thought, maybe now, maybe now, maybe I've done enough now. Maybe now my husband will notice me. Maybe now he will love me. But it just never happened. And then we read this verse. Look at this finally in verse 35. And Leah conceived again and bore a son and said, now this is it. Watch this now. This time. Let me hear you say this time. This time. Those are some powerful words. This time. Let that soak in. Let that sink in. This time. Because what does this time mean? This time bears the understanding of regardless. Let me explain. This time means regardless of what has happened to this, play, to, to this point, this time is different. Does that make sense? The conspiracy of love, the God of love, lowercase g, doesn't want you to have a this time, this time. He wants to keep you in what used to be. He wants to remind you of how it's always gone. He wants to remind you of the things you've done. But the, resur- the resurrection gives us the ability to say, no, 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 this time. This time is different. Watch what she says this time. In fact, can we just, let me hear you just say this time. Let me just hear you say it with a little bit of authority. This time. That's not good enough. We're here on a Sunday morning and it's not snowing. It's a good day in Ohio, okay? Let me hear you say this time. This time. Leah says this time I will praise the Lord. This time I'll praise the Lord. Therefore she called the son Judah. And then she ceased bearing children. What happened? Leah finally stopped looking to her husband for the things that only God could give her. And she turned to God and said, this time it's going to be different. This time I will praise you. This time I will praise the Lord. And she names her son Judah, which means literally in Hebrew, praise. Leah is rejected by her father. She's rejected by her husband. But when she finally stops expecting them to meet her needs and turn to God, she's finally able to praise God in the way that he deserves and demands to be praised. I wonder, as her band comes forward this morning to close us out, I wonder, do you find yourself in this story? Hopefully you're not Laban. (laughs) You find yourself being Leah? Do you find yourself fighting to fill that void? Do you find yourself fighting an excruciating fight to be loved? Look at me. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. There's nothing wrong with the giving of love. But when that becomes your primary desire and drive in life it becomes a God. And when it becomes a God, it begins making demands on you 
that you cannot fulfill. Listen to me now. It begins placing expectations on you that you can never accomplish. And you will run to try and jump through those hoops. You will run to try to, from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship, and you dump them, and you, and you leave her, and you do this, all in the pursuit of love. Well, maybe this person will satisfy me. Well, maybe now this person. I mean, she didn't do it, but maybe she will. And, and he didn't do it, but maybe he will. You know, maybe, maybe if I found somebody who was more like this, or maybe if I did this, or maybe if I gave more of myself, or maybe if I took that personality test, and maybe if I found somebody that was a perfect, lined up right in the Enneagram with me, what do I, stop, stop it. Stop it. That is the conspiracy of love. That is the God of love that is chasing you. Rather, we need to surrender our hearts to the King of love, the only one who laid down his life on the cross, the only one who picked it back up again on his own demand to earn the right to say, I in authority love you, and I and I want to be the driving force in your life. Yes, we believe Jesus died. Yes, we believe he rose again. But the power of the gospel and the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection truly at its core is a love story. About a people who couldn't get to God so God came to them. About a God who created people. And because of sin, the relationship was severed. So God sent Jesus into this world to die, to pay the cost. Well, why did he die? Because sin, as scripture says, the payment for sin is death. It's not God's desire that you die in your sins. It's not God's desire that you pay for your sins. Or you did something bad, you're gonna pay for it. It's not God's desire. God's desire is that no one should enter into eternity without forgiveness of their sins through the understanding of Jesus Christ. That's why he came, to forgive you of your sins. And you say, yeah, man, I, I know, I've been to church before. I've heard this. Yeah, I know, I've heard this all the time. I, I, I know, I hear it all the time. Sometimes I turn on the TV, I hear it. I've listened to a podcast, I've done it. Can I just tell you something? But this time, it can be different. But this time, but this Easter, but this resurrection day, but right now, here in this moment, you can stop chasing after the conspiracy of love and you can give in to the king of love and allow him to begin demonstrating his love towards you. A love that says, hey, I'm here. Hey, it's okay. Hey, I forgive you. Hey, let me take that shame. Hey, I know your father said that. You know that's not true. Hey, I know she did that. I, I know that he did that. You know that's not you. I see who you really are. I see everything, and I still love you. I still love you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. I want this to sink in today. Let today be your this time. Let today be a new day for you right now. ask if you would to evaluate what or who is on the throne of your heart is it your husband although I'm sure he's great that is not his role is it your wife although I'm sure she's beautiful that's not her place 
Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it some fantasy that you have? I know it's been tough, but this time, it can be different. I encourage you right now to invite the king of love to have the first seat, the number one priority on the throne of your heart. Right now, right where you sit. And although I don't have any magic words for you, there are no magic prayers. (laughs) That's just talking to the Lord and surrendering to him. By the way, that's how salvation works. Scripture says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to encourage you today to call on the name of the Lord. If you need words, I'll give you, I'll help you. Just pray with me. Maybe it could sound something like Jesus. I believe. I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. Forgive me of my sins. I've been chasing love. I've done things I can't even believe that I've ever done for the sake and the word love. I've given myself away for love. I've beaten myself up over love. I've tried to fill the void in my heart for love. When all the while, You've just been standing there giving it out for free. Jesus, I accept your love and I offer my life in return. I will live for you. Make a home in heaven. Change me, shape me. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. With your eyes closed, your heads bowed. You know, we don't do this this often. I think today I feel the spirit working and moving in our hearts pretty strong way I'm going to encourage you if you prayed that first time, 50th time I don't care let this be your but this moment regardless of what's happened up to this point this can be different. If you prayed that prayer, some semblance of that prayer, if you cried out to Jesus, if you want him to be your Lord, if you're giving him your life, if you're inviting him into your heart and soul, when I count to three, when I count to three, I want you to lift up your hand. Now look, I'm the only one looking here. And I'm not gonna call you out. I can really only see beyond the second row. But I do believe that your first movement into this walk with Christ should be one of boldness. I want you to declare victory today. I want you to declare victory today. If you're watching online, you put that hand up in the comment section. That emoji counts just as much. Right now, when I count to three, may your first step in this new relationship be one of boldness. Are you ready? Come on. You prayed that prayer. You meant that. When I count to three, you lift up your hand. One, two. Come on, be bold. Be strong right now. One, two, three. Right now, lift up your hand. Yes, ma'am. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, sir. Praise Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, 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 ma'am. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you. Late arrival. I get it. It's okay. Yes, yes. Put your hands down. There's a lot of us. But not enough. 
I think some of us are holding out. We're a little scared. We can do this again. You didn't raise your hand the first time. This is your moment now. Look, the water's already good. People already dove in, jumped in. Now you know no SWAT team's coming in to get your information, okay? So if you didn't raise your hand the first time, but you meant that, I want you to raise it this time. You ready? One, two, three, right now. Yes, yes, yes. Amen, man. Yes, yes. Yes. Father, we're just so thankful for how you continue to work and move in our church, in your church, through your word. How you use broken people to reach broken people. And how you begin to see us, Father, as your sons and as your daughters called into your kingdom, chosen before the very foundations of this world were created. Not only do you love, but you are love. You are. And we are grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask if you would just to stand. And you know, we don't normally do this, but literally since apparently 50% of our church accepted Jesus today, (laughs) can we just celebrate the victory? Come on, come on church. Amen. Hey, don't leave that decision in this room. When you leave here, tell somebody, go fill out a card. I'll call you. We'll call you. We'll get with you. We won't bombard you. Welcome to the family of God. The first steps into this new life. This is your but this, but now, from here on forth moment. I want, are we gonna sing a song? Can we sing a little bit? We got a couple minutes? Yeah, we got, we got like three minutes, perfect. I want us to worship today. Let's celebrate Easter. Let's celebrate the new life that Jesus Christ came to give. Can we do that today? Can we just celebrate one time right now? Amen.